I'm Don Murray, and you're listening to Gilbert Godfrey's amazing podcast. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> I'd forgotten one word. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> This is Gilbert Gottfried, and this is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing, colossal podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre, and we're once again recording at Nutmeg with our engineer, Frank Verderosa. Our guest this week is a writer, singer, and Tony and Emmy-winning actress, and one of the most original and admired comedy performers of her generation. You've seen her in popular movies like Cannibal Girls, Black Christmas, Club Paradise, Inner Space, Wag the Dog, Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, The Producers, Hedgewig and the Angry Inch. Hedwig, but he- close enough. <laughs> either one, I don't care. I'm stopped listening. How to Eat Fried Worms. And, of course, as Ann Fala, uh, in one of the most successful comedies of all time, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Her TV credits are too numerous to mention, but what the hell? The Carol Burnett Show, The Martin Short Show, The Simpsons, Norm, Nurse Jackie, 30 Rock, Martin, (laughs) Martin Family, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, and Great News, just to name a few. But she'll forever be known and beloved by audiences as the unforgettable characters she created on the IT sketch series SCTV, including Edna Boyle, Libby Wolfson, <laughs> Perini Scarolosa, <laughs> and the overeager and oversexed Edith Brickley. You want more? She's also the star of the stage, appearing in hit Broadway shows such as Fiddler on the Roof, Noises Off, Young Frankenstein, as well as Pippin and My Favorite Year, for which she was an awarded the Tony for Best Actress in a Musical. Her funny and touching 2014 memoirs is called Lady Parts, and we're thrilled to welcome her to the show, one of our favorite performers and a woman who claims that Paul Schaefer has always been fascinated with her breasts. The great Andrea Martin. Wow. That's a that's a, that's a tough act to follow. <laughs> You've done a lot of it. And it is my act, so that's a, a crazy <laughs> thing. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of stuff. You've done a lot. Yeah. I guess I have. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, some of those movies, though. All right, the, you, you, you were you went, you were very thorough with IMDb. Let me tell you, because I do some, not know some of, us some of the s- movies. I don't remember even doing. Some okay. of us have seen Cannibal Girls. Yes, yes, Cannibal yeah. Girls. Now, listen, I'm very proud of Cannibal Girls. It was Ivan Reitman's second film after Foxy Lady, another movie that I did uh, first, and. Um, I was just a kid out of college, and Eugene Levy and I improvised the entire movie, and we won the Best Actor and Actress Award at the International Horror Film Festival in Spain called the Sitkus Award. Like, it's still going on. Come on. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. All right. The the first movie's out of print, huh? The other one? Foxy Lady. Foxy, it's it's. A, I asked Ivan if I could have a copy, and he said it was in the bowels of his home down the basement. <laughs> he doesn't want to go and find it. He doesn't want to go find it. He doesn't want anybody to see it. And and Frank and I were discussing something that I found uh, very disturbing and okay. irrational. You always wanted to be a Jew. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I did. I don't know if I always wanted to be, but I grew up in Portland, Maine, and um, I'm Armenian, and, you know, there wasn't a very large community of Armenians, and we lived in a community of Jews, so I felt like that's where I belonged. It was easier to explain to somebody I was Jewish than Armenian, so there you are. But I, but that's cool to be Jewish. You know, we've done 220 of these, and he obsesses over every Jewish guest. He counts them like notches in a bedpost. See, you should write a book. It's cool to be Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> now, now, but didn't both, I, I think the Armenians also were victims of a Holocaust, were they not? Yes, yes. In fact, um, Hitler um, said who because the, the, the genocide was in 1915 and, and oh, as he was committing all the atrocities he said who remembers the Armenians it's not the direct, the actual quote but very close to that meaning we can get away with this nobody remembers anyway and you know the genocide is not um, accepted here in the United States uh, but, you know we could get into that wow. but, but it, because um, you know the uh, Turkey and the United States are allies, and mm-hmm. the Turks disavowed completely. Said it was just a mutual war where both sides got hurt. But 1.5 million Armenians were slaughtered, and um, it's well documented that it was a genocide. So, your trip yeah. to Armenia, by the way, is one of the most interesting parts of the book. I, I love that. Well, I was putting together a one-woman show. Thank you for saying that. And um, it dawned on me that I literally knew nothing about my. I, I mean, I knew what food that we ate, right. and I knew that my grandfather's name ended with IAM, which all Armenian names do, but um, I really didn't know what it was like to stand on that soil, to be in Armenia, to see faces that looked like mine, and um, to really feel at home. So I went to Armenia, to Yerevan. I, I, I've been back a few times now because I'm uh, associated with the Children of Armenia Fund. I... I um, host their benefit every year very uh, so that's my big charity and it's extraordinary um charity and uh yes it was kind of life-changing really to 
Um, it is. It's fascinating to read about it through your eyes as you yeah. kind of experience. And you and and for all these people suffering and all their hardship, there's great camaraderie. There's great. They're they're welcoming to you. They're welcoming to to. Yes, to visitors. For sure. They you go know, out of their way for people. They do. I was just reading an article in the New York Times about a um, Turkish photo- young woman, Turkish photographer and Armenian photographer, who together went to Turkey to document um, Armenians who had to, um, in order to live, had to convert from Christians to Muslim um, faith and uh and two of them together because they're enemy, you know, so many enemies, Turks, Armenians, or they, they've been taught to be. Um, it was a beautiful article that um, together they were support for each other. And then um, Armenians who had to lie for so many years saying that they weren't Armenians came out and were able to speak the truth to these um, two young women. So I think there changes slowly, mm-hmm. and in Armenia right now, the prime the prime minister was ousted, and a new prime minister is in, a new president. Um, so I hope I'm hopeful for changes. Let's hope. Yeah. And and one famous Armenian, and of course I'm getting a block. There are many on his famous Armenians. Share. Well, sure. um, the um, Kardashians. Right. Well, the one I'm thinking. <laughs> Charles Aznavour. Who else? The Doctor of Death. Yes. Kevorkian. Oh, Kevorkian. Yeah, Kevorkian yeah, was Armenian. He was Armenian. No, no. Are yeah. you related to, was that a joke in the book that you're related to Aznavour and Mike Connors who played No, 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 no. <laughs> but, when I was, but when I was growing up, you know, where they were the, this is before the Kardashians, they were right. the only kind of they well-known Armenians. And so we, we, you know, we joked that we were all affiliated in some way. I yeah. thought we had something special on our hands there that you, were, that you were a cousin of Mike Connors. You know, if I ever dared to do that, what is that called where you get your DNA? Oh, I've done it. Ancestry.com. I'm so scared about doing it. Oh, no, you it. should do it. My wife and I did. It's fascinating. Really? You just spit in a vial yeah, and you send it Yeah, but did you find in. out stuff? What if I found out that I was an Armenian and I was a Jew? <laughs> <laughs> what if I found that What if, out? Gil? He'd make you come back and do a part two. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not now, scary. Now, you you did. I I, I want to bring it away from any real emotions and feelings yeah. and bring it into the dirt. <laughs> sure, you did a production yeah. of your a good man Charlie Brown. Yes, is it true you fucked Linus? Oh wow, I wouldn't have used that word, but he became my boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> Yes, Charles Schultz was mortified. I can imagine Lucy and Linus. Yes, he he he's the reason that I moved to Canada. Actually, I, I toured in the United States with the Canadian company, the First National Company, and um, his name was Derek McGrath. He's a successful actor in Canada, and he became my boyfriend on the road. And I would go back to Toronto, and I stayed there for eighteen years because of that initial relationship. I just thought of Frau Bluka when you screamed he was my boyfriend. He was my boyfriend. <laughs> he was a bully and a brute. All right. Yes. So you fucked Linus. Yes, thank and you. And that's the important... Well, that's all I wanted to know. I think it was an actual relationship. Yeah. <laughs> and you studied mime. I did. I studied mime with Jacques Lecoq. That's not his real name. His real name is Harry Lecoq. I used that in my one-person <laughs> show. Thank you for laughing. Because I'm like, is that funny what? or not really? Okay. Yeah, that's Peter Marshall's real name, the game show host. Yeah, Lecoq. Peter Lecoq. Is that true? True. 
true. His name is his name was Jacques Lecoq. Yes, I did study mime there. Yes, because I've always been fascinated with um, Fellini and cl- clowns, real clowns, and not the kind and of. Do you feel it helped you as an actress knowing yes. mime? I think anything helps you as an actress. Here's what doesn't help you as an actress, tweeting or Instagram. I mean, I think anything that expands your mind and you learn something new helps you as an actress. So, of course, it did. Yeah, I lived in Paris for two years, and um, I don't know, and I, I guess I, I, I had... had I had a lot of respect um, for physical comedians after studying for two years. Um, you know, I, I loved Robin Williams. I thought he was a great physical comedian. Steve Martin, Marty Short, a lot of great people that um, didn't study mime. But I have, a, you know, a profound respect for physical comedy. And you, you were talking about the whole media thing, the whole... Uh, in, you know, Instagram, social media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, social media. Yeah. That it's one of those things you're kind of turned off by. I, I am. Yes. Y- yes, I, I am. But, you know, if people want to do that as a pastime, I mean, I like to knit and go to the museum. But if people find it interesting to do, that's all right. You know, it's okay. But to me, it's um, nerve-wracking, anxiety-provoking, and kind of keeps me in a superficial state for a, a, a many hours. I'm just thinking, did I look good in that photo? So I, I don't have, I'm not on anything. I don't have anything. And I, I think you said that when you start thinking in terms of social media, yeah, then you're going, oh, maybe I can have a photo of me buying this coffee. Yes, exactly. And that'll look, uh, that'll be popular. <laughs> Exactly. Boy, if 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 you could really be I guess people can become popular buying coffee and taking a picture. Well, That's... they they are <laughs> it's so weird to me now. Yeah. Like I think in terms of stardom as Tom Cruise and Julia Roberts. Yeah. But nowadays stars are someone who squeezes a blackhead <laughs> and shows what it on the computer. And what what are they what's that called now? What's that? When Young kids are discovered. You mean YouTube stars? Yeah. What are they? What's that called? There's a name. Oh, dear. Does anybody know in that room? What are you referring to specifically? The the kind of people that are discovered. Internet stars? No, no, no. There's another word. Phenoms? We'll find out. We'll find out. Doing research, writing it on here. Dara's Dara's on the job. I think it begins with an I. Does it? What, What does that say? I can't read it. Influencers, influencers, influencers. Yes, Very yes, good, yes. Dara. There and you go. And of course, it's like these people are like fourteen years old. Yeah, they go on, they'll chew gum, yeah. film it on their phone, put it on or the internet. Or do pranks? Pranks are very big. Pranks, on the yeah, yeah. But you know what, Gilbert? You know, when I was growing up in Portland, Maine, I used to rush home every day after school and watch American Bandstand, and. Really, kind of, it's the same thing, you know. Um, the young kids from Philadelphia became famous from doing American Bandstand, and Fabian and Frankie Avalon and all those guys kind of be- became famous from that um, that that world, that Philly world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe it's just a different way for 
people to gain success. I don't know how long lasting it is, but um, it's instant. And I guess you know, you take anything that um, that can give you a, a way in. So your so, your 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 point is that every generation has its its uh, its I think, showcase. I think that's a yeah. really good point. Remember yeah. Queen for the day? Of that's course. really beyond. Yeah, and, and I I find myself, and I'm sure you do too. The older you get, the more you sound like the adults <laughs> of years ago. Going. Oh, see, in my day, yeah, <laughs> that was talent. Yeah. Well, you know, I I don't know if I, I feel that judgmental. Certainly, I say in my day, for God's sakes, because nobody knows what I'm talking about. But I think, I think there's so much competition. I think any footing you can get. There was a young girl here who was interning. I think, you know, any way you can find your way in, knowing somebody, being on American Bandstand, being an influencer, I, I say go for it. That's the easy part. The difficult part is longevity. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can get your foot in the door, fabulous, and then work hard and have a career. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel as, as so judgmental, really. Did you did you send fan letters to Dick Clark? You were so you were kind of so enamored Completely. Of, of Bandstand. Oh my God! Yeah, I had a boyfriend, a Kenny Rossi, and Arlene Sullivan. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. I used to have a locket, <laughs> that, and I had Kenny Rossi on one side. He was just a kid from Philly who danced every <laughs> afternoon. And on the other side, it's I love Kenny, um, Andrea, and I would toss it out my bedroom window every night, hoping that maybe karmically he could find his I way love to it. me. Yeah. I love it. Yes, I something in the book. You said a part of you died when Dick Clark died. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Ryan Seacrest took over. That's right? not the same. No, we had Avalon here, by the way. Speaking of those Philly guys, James, you did. We had him on the show. Oh We've my done god, two hundred of these now. Yeah. yeah, we had Bobby Rydell too. Oh my god, yeah. I wished I'd been a fly on the wall. That would have been fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And Paul Anka, I loved Paul. We Anka. haven't had Paul yet, but and, yeah. And you were saying about your career, thinking about it. Yeah. Like as far as what stuff, what parts to take and what parts not to take. And then you said, nobody cares. What, what part you're taking? Yeah, like, it, it's like to the public. Yeah. No one really cares. Like, if you did this movie that everyone said, oh, you shouldn't do that movie. Yes, I think that's yeah. right. Here, here's what I found out now in my life. <laughs> That people are thinking about me far less than I think they're thinking about me. <laughs> Nobody's really thinking it's about good me. Good observation. Nobody's really thinking about anybody really but themselves and maybe a few influencers. <laughs> Let's tie that around. That's my second city training. The ending is in the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes my ego gets the best of me. I was on a flight from L.A. a week ago, and the pilot said to me, wait, I am old enough to know who you are. And I thought, wait, is that a compliment? No, I kind of... But, you know, why am I expecting to... It's a terrible thing to be expecting to be recognized or lauded for what you've done. I think the great thing to do is pray for opportunities and keep getting better and surround yourself with people that love you. Didn't you come to a turning point, though, where you started saying yes more than you ever had? Yes, I did. Interesting. Lee Lee Grant had the same revelation. Did she really? Yeah, she wrote a a book about it. I find that, like, agents and managers, they justify their position by if you're offered something, they'll go, no, no, really bad move. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it shows that, see, there, that's why you hire them. 
<laughs> because they know it. Well, it also gives them power. They yes. consolidate their power that way. Oh, exactly. Yeah. My agent and manager are not like that. Yeah. It's a great collaboration. We've been together many, many years. And I will say to them, what do you think? And they'll come up with something. It's always about the material, actually. It's very seldom about anything else. So it's a, a kind of an artistic exploration. I I really love our You're relationship. You're fortunate to have and that relationship. What's that? You're fortunate I to have that very, relationship. I am yes, yes. And to the general and public, yeah. you know, like when you're in this business, you always think, oh, gee, let's see, that guy's bigger than I am. Yeah. And, but that guy, I'm bigger than him. Yeah. And and it's like, but this guy's gaining on me and I'm gaining. <laughs> and it's like to the public, you know, Tom Cruise and the guy that played Screech are stars. <laughs> There's no the difference. Dustin Diamond uh, from Saved by the Bell he's referencing. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. There's no. Yes, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. A guy in a Robert De Niro and a guy in a hemorrhoid commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're both big stars. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're saying. You know what I, what I watched the first part of, and I was going to watch the second part before I came in here, because I, I thought... Um, because, you know, you come from the world of stand-up comedy, and I've never done stand-up comedy. But I was watching Judd Apatow's um, uh, documentary on... Oh, um, on Gary Shandling. Gary, San- oh, yeah. Gary Shandling. Yeah. Um, and I found it... I, I, I guess I felt like maybe I'm not working hard enough. <laughs> that I was so amazed that... Even at the age he was, he was still thinking about jokes and material. And then I remembered the documentary on Joan Rivers. And to the day she died, way too early, and Gary Shandling too, she she was thinking about jokes, how to write jokes. You know, that's not a a world that I've ever experienced. But I just find it so admirable to want to challenge yourself up to the very end. What do you think about that? We also had Bruce Stern on the show. Yeah. And and he's in his 80s. Yeah. And he said he always wants to improve as an actor. For sure. But that's different than writing jokes, I think. But maybe not to you because that's your livelihood. It's writing. Well, Gilbert hasn't written a new joke since 1979. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm working on my Robert Mitchum imitation. (laughs) (laughs) He's got a Lionel Barrymore bit that's going to kill you. Sentimental hogwash. (laughs) Wait, what did you did you see that documentary? It was, oh yes, it was moving. And what do you think about it? Oh, it was very good. Yeah. Did yeah. you know Gary Shanley? I mean, not well. I used to talk to him from time to time, run into him, but yeah. But uh, and you had. Yeah. I met him a handful of times too. I found him fascinating. Yeah, was he fascinating? Yeah, I too? found him fascinating for a lot of reasons. Uh huh. But he was deep. Yes, He's a deep yes. thinker. Yeah. I, yeah. I, my one Gary Shandling story is one time I had a burst appendix and I had to get another operation to pull my stomach back together. Oh, my gosh. And I was talking to Gary Shandling about it, and he said, what, what hospital are you going to be? And I said, New York Ioneer. And he goes, well, that, that's a strange choice. Shouldn't it be New York stomach and ass? 
He said that. Yes. <laughs> That's a, oh a good line. You had yeah. Bob Dylan as a house guest. Wow. Yeah. That is some good research. Yeah. <laughs> I'm impressed, Gil. Wow. Because, <laughs> yeah, see, Frank's impressed because usually I'm here. <laughs> and, and, and Frank will yell out, Andrea, you know people uh, with an A in their name. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so impressed, I'm not even going to point out the fact that she wasn't there when he was a house guest. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she wasn't there. Well, she put yourself into the story. It's I'm going to put myself in. Well, I worship Bob Dylan. I just saw a documentary that Marty Scorsese did. It, we screened it because he's directing the SCTV doc. So yes. He had a see, a see it. It was... For somebody who idolizes Bob Dylan, it was um, so uh, insightful and profound and saw a different side of Bob Dylan. But yes, he rented my home in Toronto when um, uh, when he was there. I don't know what he, maybe he was shooting a film. But when I got back to the house, the only albums that were out were his. I thought that was fascinating. How <laughs> <Yeah>. bizarre. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. didn't you say there were burn marks? Yes. There burn were, holes there in were your some furniture. There were marijuana holes on my comforter. And so he furniture. would like light up a joint and I think burn so. a hole? Good for him. Do you, you ever meet Dylan in your travels? No. Do, do, you, do you care to give Andrea a little bit of your Dylan, uh, of your oh. Dylan bit? Oh, jeez. Okay, this is my pit. <laughs> Bob Dylan talking to Floyd the Barber okay. on the old Andy Griffith show. Yeah. Hello, Floyd. Hello, Bob. <laughs> How are you, Floyd? I'm fine. <laughs> Bob. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> Always it loved is it. just one octave lower than the other. It's amazing. <laughs> yes. Did Eugene do Floyd the Barber yes, on, on SCTV? Yes, he been here. we got to get Eugene in here. Oh, you guys yes. do a dueling. We had Dave on the show. You did? Yeah. Dave yeah. was here a couple of weeks ago on, on Skype from okay, L.A., but great. He, of right. course, that is Bob Hope. Of course. It is staggering. It is uncanny. Yeah. I mean, there are impressions, and then there are impressions. Amazing. And that is... Now, we're gonna have a commercial, which in my day was when they would advertise a product and they'd refer to it as a commercial. They'd, they'd play it on the radio. Radios were like little boxes that sound came out of. Sound back then was something that travels into your ear and you would hear it you would hit your Live from Nutmeg Post, we now return to Gilbert and Frank's amazing colossal podcast. This is something that will fascinate Gilbert. You're, you loved variety shows. I love this part of the book. You had a soft spot for animal acts. Yeah. But particularly... A particular talk show and a particular animal act. Oh, um, are the, you talking about the Ernie Kovacs show? Uh, well, no, I was talking oh. about the Marquee Chimps on the on the Sullivan show. Oh, I love those. Us chimps. too. We've talked about them. Oh my gosh, those chimps were—they <laughs> could ride tricycles with little skirts <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah. They could jump over each other with like a blouse and a vest. <laughs> 
that story that true? That was pretty amazing. Yes. With the, tell Gilbert that story. It's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Let me see if I can remember it. So it was on the Ed Sullivan Show, the Marquee Chimps. And um, uh, the, the, the act was, um, I, let's say it was three minutes long, the Mar- Mr. Yeah. Marquis. Um, <laughs> and so the stage manager came up to him and said, you know, you've got to cut the act because we're over you have to cut it he says well what do you mean cut it they're chimps i can't say to them (laughs) we're gonna cut the act so instead what they did he said instead you know what we can do let's start the act behind the curtain and two minutes in just um raise the curtain and we will be in the middle of the act and that's how they did this i'm a really bad storyteller but i like that story okay i love that story so okay (laughs) Your what? heart bleeds for the chimps because they're, the they're, chimps. they're working their act, their 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 hearts out behind a curtain. They're working and their act. They're, they're they're back there jumping on trampolines and <laughs> on handlebars, and, and the curtain's down. And as soon as you know, two minutes is up, the curtain rises, and they only get one minute, and then they bow. And the scary thing is, is you don't want to piss off a chimp. Yeah, because those are some vicious animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd rather be in a cage with lions. You than would? Chimp. Chimps, I mean, oh, I, there were two stories. One, a man who was totally mutilated by chimps that attacked him. Was that his him. pet? Was it N- his, no, no, I think he was near some nature reserve. Okay. And then some woman. Yes, and she was a first face transplant, right? Yeah, that one was And the man, they said... They, like, bit off fingers and toes. We've and had guests that were attacked by chimps. Yeah, Andy and... Bonaducci was here, and he was attacked by a chimp on a sitcom. And they said his genitals were mutilated. So these Not are Danny. some mean, <laughs> yeah. mean... And Dick Miller uh, bit a monkey that he was doing a scene with to show the monkey. He had to show the... You know Dick Miller from all the Roger Corman movies? You'd know him if I showed him to you. Oh, he's you'd one know of him. those old oh, that guy. He's, he's one of those old oh, that guy faces okay. that you'd know immediately. Oh, but he was doing guy. a scene with a monkey and had to bite the monkey. He bit the monkey back. What? Yeah, it's crazy. And, uh, this Don't thing work with, with variety shows, yeah. like Ed Sullivan and stuff. And Carol Burnett. And, and, you know, first of all, there were like two channels on. You had to watch that show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what was funny is you were forced to get a taste of other things. And so you might want to watch a comedian or the monkey act. Yeah. And you didn't want to see the opera singer, but you were forced <laughs> to. And then you go, okay, that okay. wasn't so terrible. Yeah, no, not at all. I completely agree with you. You, you never said, I'm going to go and have a little snack and come back. First no. of all, you couldn't pause. Yeah. No. And you were kind of a captive audience. You're absolutely right. Some acts were better than the other. You know, I love the guys twirling the, the plates. Yeah. He was one of my favorites. And um, I love... Ho- uh, hello, um, Senor Wences. Senor Wences, yes. yeah. Love but that. But you'd watch some, like... Opera singers and actor doing And then you'd watch Kate Smith thing. sing The Bear Came Over the Mountain, and maybe it wasn't your cup of tea, but just stuck with it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. you yeah. got a taste of it. But yeah, even I love that it. night the Beatles were on in 64, yes. you got Frank Gorshin, yes. you got uh, Mitzi McCall and Charlie Brill. A- Alan and Rossi. Right, were everything. With the Beatles. Oh yeah, there was, a, there was Oliver. Wayne yeah. Schuster from Canada. Wayne I think and they Schuster. Got the yes. Sullivan Show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wayne, that nice reference. Yeah. Wayne and, and you know, they try to bring. A handful of times, 
They've tried to bring back variety. Right. And they just can't do it. No. Why do you think? I don't know. It's like now they make it camp. They well, say, oh, look at us. We're doing a variety Or they'll retro. do film pieces, which is then it's like Saturday Night Live or S- I don't know. SNL still kind of a variety show. It I is kind of a, a variety show. You're absolutely right. But not. But there was something very innocent and you knew that it was happening in the moment because it was live. You miss them, don't you? You sit- variety show. I don't know if I'd have the patience to sit through things that I didn't. I don't really. I heard like. you say you miss Kovacs and you miss the, oh, Glee- Ernie the Gleason Kovacs. show. And, I loved. And, and, and I loved Ernie Kovacs. Sid Caesar and Imogene Coca, and I mean it's it's, it's and Jackie Gleason. Yeah, it's the kind they of stuff. Have we- wonderful acts on beautiful choreography. Yeah, and- June Taylor dancers. Yeah, June Taylor. Wow, why well, I'm dating myself? Dear God. <laughs> <laughs> an influencer. Come on here. Talk about a kid that puts makeup on. <laughs> That's what this show is, Andrea. These are our strange obsessions. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is what we talk about. All right. So tell us you what got... Is your demographic like 90? We've had 10 90-year-olds on this show. <laughs> You've had what? We've had 10 or 12 people on this show over 90. Wait, that's... Am- we had this Larry is- Storch, Peter Marshall... No. Uh, Dick Miller, Roger Corman, yeah. Lee Grant. Is Lee Grant 90? Oh, she is. We had Carl Reiner. We had Norman Lear They're bo- and Dick Van Dyke. And Lee Grant's in love with me. And Lee Grant has a little fixation for uh, my partner over there. You know what? I d- Could you be attracted to a 90-year-old woman? Why not? <laughs> <laughs> then that's funny. With this show... Uh, Sometimes we'll have guests that we think are like the young guests, like that's us appealing to the kids. Yeah. <laughs> and these guests are in their 60s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's a history show, Andrea, and, and the <laughs> older people have the history. Oh, okay, wonderful. What kind of history are you going to get out of interviewing a 30-year-old? You mean you don't have any 30-year-olds you interview? I think our youngest guest was Josh Groban. Wait, that's phenomenal. Josh Groban. And Apatow. He's, well, he's almost my age. But um, who else was young that we had? That's about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually if they're in their 60s. We had go- the writer. Did you see the movie The Disaster Artist? Yeah. Okay, we had the writer, Mike Weber, uh, Michael Weber of that, of that I movie. I love that movie. Yeah, he's talented. And that was, he's young. He's not even 40. <laughs> okay. So, but, but. This show is... Well, I'm glad I have my own teeth. I feel <laughs> like I... <laughs> Tell us about what happened in Canada after what? you went up there uh-huh. with with, uh, with the boy. The boy. And uh, I did Foxy Lady and yeah. Cannibal Girls. Yeah. And then I did Godspell with Gilda Radner and Marty Short, Eugene Levy. Mr. Schaefer. Paul Schaefer, Victor Garber. And that was kind of our start in show business there. And then I worked there for 18 years, and um, then SCTV uh, became a successful, a cult following, but enough to bring me to L.A., and I had two kids and raised them in L.A., and as soon as they went to college, I moved back to New York, really, which I prefer. Yeah. Tell, tell us about auditioning for Godspell, too, because it's a fun thing in the book. Yeah. Because it didn't go well at first. No, and I was probably the only person that really had seen Godspell because I, you know, am a big musical comedy fan and it's kind of a something like Godspell really isn't a musical comedy. I guess it is, but it's not your typical musical no. comedy, right? No. So 
um, I'd seen it in New York, I'd seen it in Boston, and I'd seen it in Paris where I was living. And I knew that it was a show um, that I could do. She didn't have to really be skilled, <laughs> really. You didn't have to be a skilled singer or dancer. But you had to have a personality and be a clown or kind of authentically, I don't know, energetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really desperately wanted the part. It was like American Idol. Uh, you know, Godspell was everywhere. They went ar- around the world auditioning every city. Vienna, I had my Paris. Um, and I didn't get the part. I I, uh, I didn't get it until, um, and I was devastated. And uh, um, I had friends that, that Marty Short uh, got the got the part in Eugene who, who I'd done Cannibal Girls right. with and Toronto was a small community you know it wasn't like you know there weren't that many actors so it was devastating and um, then two weeks went by or three weeks went by and Eugene called me and told me that the girl that was singing Day by Day was going to be fired and they were going to have a party that night and the director was going to be there and he said come to the party and just be your zany cool funny self and I bet you get cast and I did that I went to the party and I guess I was funny and I was cast so I uh, you know opened in the legendary company of Godspell but uh, I wish things were that easy now just go to a party and be funny and you'll be cast in a George Clooney film. That would be fun. And and how <laughs> yes. did you go about being funny? I think I, I was just um, probably uninhibited and um, uh, probably um, spontaneous and uh, just authentic. And when I'm really just being... <laughs> When I was younger, I wasn't careful about. I wasn't thinking how how am I going to be. I was just kind of out there, and um, I had a larger than life personality. It's tamer now, Gilbert. The years, <laughs> the years haven't been good to old Andrea. No, that's not true. But um, you know, I just uh, and I and I wanted it, and and you know, I was probably ambitious and. Um, and probably just out, you know, out entertaining and you said you weren't um, good at other larger stuff. Larger than too. life, you weren't. That? You weren't good at skiing. You weren't good at skating. You yeah. weren't good at tennis. Yeah. But you knew you knew I, comedy was something that yeah could I, come to you. I knew you, that um, you could do laughter it. was something that I could have people do when mm-hmm. I talked. Mm-hmm. Yes, I thought that Gilbert. And, uh, I've never asked you that question. Yeah, I, I assume you were not a, for, uh, a a big a letterman in sports <laughs> in school. And like like Andrea, when did you have? Did you have it? No, I had some scholarships did. to be playing football. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> did you have a moment? Did you have that epiphany? That moment of I could be funny. I could do this. Well, I I remember my first laugh. It's when I was a little kid. I was I either first grade or uh, maybe even kindergarten. And no, even before that. I remember <laughs> what my first getting an excitement from the crowd. I was very shy. Yeah. And I remember like the teacher, I guess in kindergarten, used to go, you know, uh, uh, Taylor here, Betty here or present. And they'd all do that. And and then I remember my mother walking me to school. And I said, I'm going to say here. <laughs> and I bet it's going to get a big reaction from everyone. Because they would always laugh. 
They she would go Gilbert, and I wouldn't say anything, and they would always the kids would laugh at that, and <laughs> and so I was ready, and and the teacher said Gilbert, and I went here, and the place went wild. That's amazing. <laughs> That's the first laugh. That's the first documented and, and laugh. I've I've never gotten a laugh like that since. Oh my god! <laughs> Do you have a mem- a similar memory of? This feels right. This feels good to me. I remember when I was three, I think I had um, pneumonia, walking pneumonia, it was called. And I was at Mercy Hospital in Portland, Maine in a crib. And um, I stood, maybe I was two and a half, and I stood up because there were other children. um, And I stood up and I kind of was entertaining the kids. And I thought, wow. This, I'm making people happy. That's nice. These kids who are sick and suffering. I don't know. I remember thinking it was a nice thing to do. It wasn't so much I got a laugh, but it was a way to connect and it's interesting communicate. Yeah, because yeah. your parents were not in show business. Your father was a businessman and grocer. Yeah, yeah. my mom was. Yeah, right. and Gilbert's father ran a hardware store. So there's yeah. there, there's no showbiz roots here. Wow. It's just. Whatever you guys gleaned from television and, and wanted to and do I it. And I don't know jokes. The only joke I know, yeah. I, I actually can't tell jokes, is about a hardware store. <laughs> a oh. woman walks into a hardware store. Do you know that joke? I think I do. I said literally, literally, it's the only joke I know. Yeah, I think I know this A woman walks into a hardware store and she says, do you have a hinge? And this is how I tell jokes. I can't remember. Then I have to stop. So this is why I don't do stand-up. Okay. She walks and she says, do you have a hinge? And the guy behind the counter says, yes, would you like a screw for your hinge? She says, no, but I'll blow you for the toaster in the corner. Is that right? Yes, yes. Okay, but how would a yeah. real but how would a real jokesmith tell it? Oh, I want to hear how you would do Lord. it with confidence. Basically, <laughs> Let me that's hear the joke. Uh, yeah, but how would you say it? A uh, woman walks into a hardware store. Uh, she says, I want to buy a hinge for a door. And a uh, man okay. says, would you like a screw for the hinge? No, but I'll blow you for the toaster. Fantastic. <laughs> word for word. <laughs> I think in the corners better rhythm. What? I think that better rhythm is no, but I'll blow you for the toaster in the corner. Yeah, that's good too. And it has a <laughs> and it has a cuss sound. I <laughs> I remember a oh joke God. that that ended with, and it's one of those punchlines, funnier than the joke, and I just love the sound of it. <laughs> and it where and the punchline is. And the devil says, oh, yeah? Wait till the Jews go by in their speedboats. <laughs> Wait a minute. What's the joke about? I love it. And that, to me, the joke itself, I don't find that funny, but that punchline. That's great. Oh, yeah. Is... Wait till the Jews come by in their speedboats. Yes. Hysterical. This is a new bit for you. You just go on stage and do the punchline. Yeah. Don't even do the setups. That's fantastic. Oh, my God. And going yeah. back to your Jew obsession, your yeah. obnash, uh, unnatural— My first boyfriend was Mark Finks. What? He was a Jew. Oh, her first Ooh. boyfriend. Mark Finks. Jeez. Yeah. You really do have this Jew thing going. I like a good Jew. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy Behar. She says, give me a tall, skinny Jew. <laughs> 
Isn't doesn't she have a partner? Who's yeah, a Steve Janowitz. Yeah. So yeah. so you like a good Jew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which should be on your tombstone. What? She <laughs> liked a good Jew? Yeah. yeah. She liked a good Jew. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Wait, the best tombstone that I ever read was from a fabulous actress named, how am I not going to remember this now? What was she in? Mary Louise Wilson, a fabulous stage actress. And she said she wants on her tombstone, she is the best thing in it. Oh. <laughs> Uh, wow. Isn't that good? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I hope it's true that <laughs> Jack Lemon's tombstone says Jack Lemon in. Wow. I think it does. Merv yeah. Griffin says, I will not be right back after these <laughs> messages. No, are you serious? Yes. yes. <laughs> no, wait. I'll send it to you. Yeah. Um, that's pretty cool. I will not be right back after, after these messages. Yeah. It's that's pretty so good. It's yeah. pretty good, isn't it? That Merv had a sense of humor. By the way, I just had a you know, I just pictured Rick Moranis doing Merv and the jacket <laughs> so and the jacket lining. We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Okay, here I just found out something. I I heard that Jack, uh, not Jack Lemon, Merv Griffin was roommates. I think in New York, it was Merv Griffin, Joel Gray, and Robert Clary. Good Lord. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you remember Robert Clary? I don't. He was the, 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 the Frenchman on Hogan's Heroes, diminutive actor. Okay. Yeah. I was watching variety shows. I okay, guess. you weren't. Into, <laughs> she was watching the Marquis Chips so, and Clyde Beatty and his You weren't lions. watching enjoyable Nazi comedies? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how, how yeah. Godspell, and I know it's not a direct path, but how Godspell eventually led to Second City. Because you did some other things. You did summer stock. You, 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 yeah. You did theater. You banged around yeah, for a while. I did a, a lot of dinner theater. What's a nice theater. country like you doing in a place like this, a right. state like this? Mm-hmm. Um, I remember that show. Stra- I, I was doing a lot of theater, really. I, I was traveling all around Canada doing Anne of Green Gables and Prince Edward Island and... I don't know, Chrysler Industrials around the country <laughs> with Marty Short, and I was in Winnipeg doing Salvation. So I, you know, was in Canada, right? So I was just doing a lot of legitimate theater, and um, and Gildo Radner was in Second City at the time, and they were about to leave for Saturday Night Live, Dan Aykroyd and Gilda, and so. They were looking for women, and uh, I think I was doing What's a Nice Country Like You doing in a state like this, and Sheldon Patinkin, who was the director, came to see it and asked me if I wanted to audition, and, you know, Toronto was, was as I said, s- starting out small with small theater community, and of course I knew everything about Second City, that was kind of the in place to go at night, and... Um, I thought, oh, that's a great adventure and a challenge, but I was petrified auditioning. You were. Anyway, I did, yes. What I did you audition with? The, you had to audition with five different characters. Okay. So you had to come through the door. As far, and I had no character, so I came, one was had a limp, one couldn't, <laughs> one couldn't see well. It's like Gabby I Hayes. don't know. You know, it was like that. Just really bad choices that didn't take very much skill or imagination. But again... You know, it's it, very much like Godspell. Right. Um, I think you have to 
I don't know my feeling about Second City or improv is that there has to be some organic part of you that's funny. Um, it's hard to teach comedy, I and think. Th- those characters weren't born. I mean, uh, Edna and, and Edith Prickley, no. they didn't come till they didn't come till later. It's, I know Edna uh, Edith Prickley came uh, on stage right, at, with at Second City, but yeah, with Catherine, but Edna Boyle, those other characters um were written for SCTV. Right, I mean to say you didn't have any characters. It didn't, when, you didn't have any characters. You mean when, when I you came auditioned? to audition? No, yeah, not. Yeah. A, I told you a limp. I was, <laughs> I was. I was maybe loud in one. I was quiet as another person. So, so I, you terrible. specialized in handicapped people. <laughs> That's it. But they saw something. So politically incorrect. What <laughs> they, is wrong? They saw something, Andrew. They did. I, yeah. I, well, I. Th- I think that if you're funny or right. I don't know. Who was in that company with you when with you got me, in? With um, me, John Candy, Eugene Levy, wow. Joe Flaherty, Catherine O'Hara. A murderer's Row. Yeah. And then that, that you know, then we, uh, SCTV came out of that. Yeah. yeah. And since we touched upon it, tell us, t- just tell the story of how Edith came to be because it's so much fun. Oh, um, so, you know, we would bring in our um, uh, costumes from the Salvation Army or Goodwill and uh, we'd put them backstage, and sometimes we'd bring things from our own closets. And um, um, Catherine's Catherine O'Hara had brought in her mom's 1950s faux leopard jacket and hat that her mom didn't want to wear anymore. Um, and I saw it backstage there, and I saw some black glasses, and there was some red lipstick. And the suggestion from the audience was um, play a parent-teacher's after-school meeting and your kids are all delinquent. So I grabbed the leopard jacket and the leopard hat and put on the glasses and put the red lipstick on and I think I had a black straight skirt on at the time. And I came through the door and Catherine was a teacher and she said, seeing me, you must be Mrs. Prickly. (laughs) She gave me the name and I said, that's right, dear. Prickly's a name, Sebastian's a game. (laughs) And it just... Fantastic! <laughs> it happened. See, I there. love showbiz stories like that. It's li- it's a little. It's like Chaplin. The story of Chaplin picking up the cane and the bowler. Well, how did and, tell and, me about that backstage? Yeah, you know, he just found the found the props, and the little tramp came from. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Piecemeal props. Just just we're just working things out on the fly. Yeah. I like the way things are born like that. Well, I that. think a lot of things on SCTV were born like that. I think, um, you know, uh, I. Uh, I People probably don't know this character, but it was a character on Melville, Melonville Calendar called Yolanda de Vilbus. And I didn't really have a character, but the uh, hair hairstylist, Judy Cooper Seeley, put a wig on me that, oh, I know who this kind of person is. And then the makeup artist said, let's whiten your teeth. And she put like almost like a typewriter white stuff yeah. on, on my teeth. And I looked, just the white teeth made me um, inform the character so that she had a hard time talking. I don't know why, because she just had white teeth. (laughs) (laughs) But it made me feel that she was shy, maybe because her teeth were so bright, and she didn't really want to open her mouth when she talked, and it just kind of informed. So just little moments like that give you characters, yeah. Of course. And this this brings me to a question from one of our listeners, yes. uh, Adam Dorn. We do this thing called Grill the Guest. Since you're on the subject of characters, wait, is this live? No, no, I just <laughs> no. We just do little shout outs to them. He wants to know where Perini Scleroso came from. So Perini came from um, 
a scene that's the only thing that we ever took from um, a Second City scene. Uh, Dan Aykroyd and uh, Valerie Bromfield uh-huh. did the scene at She's Second very City. Yes, and she was. Um, no wait, who was she? Was she the teacher? And Danny, Danny was the student learning English, and um, and it, it came from them doing it on stage. And then Catherine and I just ripped it off, I guess. But yes, well, we should, there was no Perini Sclerosi. That we made that name. Always love the idea character. of the person learning English, right? Tell us, as long as we're talking about Second City, and I think we also should ask about Scorsese at some point, and, right, what's, yeah. and what's happening with this. But but we didn't get to this with Dave. Uh, tell us about John. Tell us a little something about John Candy, the late, great John Candy. Yeah. Oh, you were very fond of. Yeah, so there was nobody that wasn't fond of John Candy, and there's nobody still that isn't fond of John Candy. People um, are, are still very emotional when they talk about John, particularly men, grown men that... Um, uh, John, I, th- I think, you know, Catherine Harris says this, and I think it's right. John Candy is everything you thought that he was, he was. Um, there was no artif- artifice about him, and uh, he treated every—he would treat, you know, Prince Harry the same way as he'd treat the chef that was making the wedding cake. How he nice. Just, yeah. Oh, what a nice way to be remembered, that, gr- a, that grown men get emotional remembering yes, him. Isn't that true? Yeah, he really touched. Sweet. He allowed them to be vulnerable, to, to feel. It's a, a great gift. You said he did everything in a big way. He did do everything in a big way, yeah. Every day was a celebration with John. No, nothing was subtle with him. The way he ate and drank and partied, and I, I, I don't mean to say that he was ever out of control, but everything was robust and love joyful life. and a celebration, yes. What yeah, two beautiful kids and a lovely wife, yeah. We were just with each other last weekend, Rose, his wife, and um, oh. Jennifer and Chris, because we were shooting a panel in Toronto that, as part of the documentary that Scorsese's directed. Did you? I want to ask you about that in a second. Gilbert, did you know John Candy? Had you uh, met? No, never met John Candy. Such a Candy. fan. Yeah. Such a fan. Yeah. And he could be, he, he could he could make you cry, too, with a dramatic performance. Planes, trains, un- and automobiles. Yeah, really underrated as an actor. I bet. Well, I don't know if he was underrated. I think... I mean, as a serious I, actor. Yeah, but I think that he, the trajectory is that he was on that path. I would I think his career would have been um, limitless, really. Um, he's mm-hmm. capable of doing anything. You know, like Nathan Lane can make you laugh, he can make you Love cry. Him. Or Giulietta Messina, Fellini's wife, or Chaplin, or I don't know. There, I think that's the biggest gift in the world. Or Gilbert. Yeah, yeah Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can make me cry, Gilbert. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly made me laugh, that's for sure. Yeah. What were you going to ask, Gil? Uh, I must have been something about the Jews, but I can't. <laughs> tell, tell us about... You were in Fiddler on the Roof. I go. was. Yes. Yeah, do uh, you love me? <laughs> do I what? <laughs> I wish it had been that low. It was sadly an octave higher. I love that part. That was a serious part, Golda. I love that part. Harvey Farstein was Tevya. And I got to, oh my gosh, Sheldon Harnick, who wrote, who wrote the um, lyrics for it. I got to perform with him, and I was so intimidated. Although he's the most gracious, wonderful man, he's in his nineties. I know Sheldon Harnick. Yeah, he's, he's got to live in the city. Gotta, he does. Yeah. He lives. He lives on um, Wolf, Central Park West. We'll invite him. Yeah, he's wonderful and a great storyteller. 
I sang that song with him and I forgot his lyrics and improvised his lyrics while singing with him. Oh. It was the most intimidating, the most devastating moment of my career. I was so embarrassed. I walked out afterwards and then I called him the next day and apologized, but he's so gracious. I think he might have said, I didn't notice. That's not true, of course. Everybody yeah. noticed because that song, everybody knows. Yeah. I would buy you and Fiddler on the Roof. Sure, <laughs> <laughs> he thinks I'm kidding, but he did a dramatic reading a couple of weeks ago in here. He did a, you did a little Shakespeare. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and he used, you've never been cast in a single dramatic role? No. In all of your films? No. And, but I would buy you as the fiddler, the part Gino Conforti played. Yeah. Maybe. Well, Shakespeare, that's a great idea for you. Would you ever want to do Shakespeare in the park in well, the summer? Well, it, it, it would have to be Shylock, of course. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> what about the fool and Lear? Yeah. Oh, that's true, too. Yeah. No one knows you have those chops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. But then maybe I can make one of those real pretentious films that comedians... Wind up like making. JoJo Dancer, your life is uh, calling. Yes, yes. <laughs> or, or when when Gleason played the mute. Oh yeah, Gigo. Gigo, directed by Gene Kelly of all people. Oh. Tell us about Harold Ramis too. Some, some another another friend and another loss. Oh Harold, what a great loss. Oh, I loved him so much. He wrote me some of the funniest things. I think um, Connie Franklin, the world's I most love depressing singers. I'm losing my hearing. I've lost sight in one eye. I'm sorry I can't hear you. Did you really say goodbye, Mama? Um, he, the most depressing singer of her the generation. The most depressing singer of her generation. <laughs> right. He wrote me. Right. He wrote um, How to Fake an Orgasm, Dr. Cheryl Kinsey. Oh, he was... Oh, my gosh. And then he directed me in Club Paradise. Um he was brilliant. He was just a genius. He could talk to you and do the New York Times crossword puzzle. Um, Amazing. He was, um, and also a wonderful actor. Yeah. Uh, kind and um, self, uh, self-deprecating. self Really, really brilliant. Um you see him in a movie called Stealing Home? Yes. Yeah, played, where he plays a straight part. Yeah, wait, no, wait. I'm with, not sure about with that. With Mark Harmon. I don't know. He's is the he sidekick. In that? Yeah. Okay. A very good. Are you sure that's not Steve Campman? Steve Campman wrote it. Okay. Wrote and directed oh, I don't remember but, that. But Harold okay, played wonderful. the Harold played the, okay. the, the, and, the friend. And with this Martin Scorsese yeah. production, yeah. it actually brought uh Rick Moranis. Yes, he was who's fabulous. Been saying no to everything. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. It was so exciting. Really, because he hasn't been in the spotlight, hasn't been interested raising his two children, but now they're married, or one's married, one's getting married. You know, he hasn't skipped a beat. So we did this panel in mm-hmm. Toronto, cameras everywhere, and um, Jimmy Kimmel moderated it. And Rick came to life doing characters that he'd done 35 years ago, 40 years ago. And I said to him afterwards, Oh my God! You're you're a vis- you were a visionary. The world's really missed you, and you haven't lost any of your comic timing or uh, the, his specific character study. It was amazing. Oh, nice! I hope he I hope he works more. Cause I heard they wanted him back for like the female Ghostbusters. Oh, yes, I think again. he said no to the, he said no to it. Yeah, and yeah. that would have been like. 
like five minutes of yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, I know. He picked I know. up where he left off. He really Isn't did. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it was great. It was really fun, and he was kind of the most comfortable on stage, I think. Um, he wasn't in his head, just really in the moment. How you did know? he feel about it? Afterwards. I think he had a great time. Oh, he was, oh, I think he great. had a really great time. Good. Yeah, I Good. thought it was very successful. I can't imagine what he was feeling to be up there after all these years. And yeah, just, and, and it all. Yeah, I think he's very proud of the work him. he did, and he should be. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't know what makes people tick, but it was great to have him back. Well, tell us your reaction when you heard that Scorsese. Had you known all these years that he was an SCTV fan? No, I hadn't this known at all. This was a big surprise to you? A, a huge surprise, yes. Catherine knew because she'd done a movie with After him. After Hours, which and, I love. Um, yeah, and I guess she knew them. But no, it was a real a huge surprise. And then I was, wow. They just picked up the phone and called you and they said... That Martin Scorsese, of all people, wants to wants to do this. Yeah, Marty reunion. Short told me, and you know, Marty and I are very close. And he said, "Yeah, Scorsese wants to um, direct it," and said yes. And Marty, I, Marty Short called Marty Scorsese, and um, the Netflix said yes. Uh, um, Ted Sarandos, who I met, was a lovely man who runs Netflix. I don't know. There are fans out there, you know, that we didn't. It's, you know, you don't really know what fans are out there because we shot in Toronto without a live audience in a bubble. And um, so... The Patty Hearst analogy. Yeah. You said in the book. Yes. You were like, you were all in the sim, in the uh, in the SLA. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. Liberation Army. You were all yeah. locked. You were all locked away from the all outside world. All locked away, right. <laughs> yeah. And then we came out into the light and people... Um, but it does still feel surreal, I have to say. People, wonderful, Tina Fey or Amy Poehler or Judd, you know, people I've worked with in the last few years and Judd, when you hear them talk, or Marty Scorsese, he, can, he knows every scene that we ever did, how the camera shot it, what angle it was. It's extraordinary, honestly. I, I, uh, I'm... I'm very moved that that what we did touched people in a positive way, or maybe informed their careers. It doesn't. It it feels very surreal. Yeah. It's it, it's yes. it's got to be rewarding to know. And I love what you say in the book about. And we'll get to this in a second. We have something happening here. But uh, I I love that you say in the book that uh, you know you'll always know each other. You'll always yes. be in each other's lives. Yeah. It's absolutely true. Because, because of family, this is something that you unique to to all of you, something you all went through together. Yes, and, and particularly for, you know, like Catherine, I think it was the first thing that she'd ever done. She was a really young girl, and um, Joe Flaherty, you know, Joe, sec, you know, Second City SCTV has been everything to him. You know, he would teach at Second City, and mm-hmm. he was kind of the, our kind of our mentor, Um and John, of course, that loss. Yes, we're all look at. So we hadn't all been together for years uh, up until last weekend. And Eugene Levy, Eugene and I had known each other for a long time. We've worked together forever, but we sat up on that stage, and it was really like. I mean, we were certainly reflective, but. Um, the way we talk to each other is the way we talked to each other 40 years ago. And I That's think with great. this deep affection for everyone. That's great. And we you know we've lived a long life, right? Yes. We've, lived a, we've done many, many things in that life. But we're, yeah, it was beautiful to see everybody. Are you a fan of the show, uh, This Is Your Life, when you would hear the, uh, remember the show with Ralph Edwards where you would hear a disembodied voice? Um, yeah. When they would say? Yes. Why? Who's here? Frank? I. 
Yes, uh, this is a disembodied voice from your past. Paul! Exactly right. <laughs> Paul Schaefer! What's he going was, on? Oh, my goodness. Well, I thought it would be at least more of a... Of a of a question, of a mystery. Paul, you got me right away. There is nobody that sounds like you, for God's sakes. Nobody. Oh, well, that's a, I've got that horrible nasal voice. Andrea, how are you? Well, now I'm perfect since I'm hearing from you. Oh, I'm Andrea Winter. Paul, I miss you. Are you going to come up to Marty's Cottage this summer? Oh, of course, of course. Or, well, at least in the fall. Wait, didn't we have fun in Shuffleboard? Oh, we always have fun. <laughs> Shuffleboard. Paul uh, made me sing um, it, It's Time to Start Living from Pippin. When we were all gathered, all the all of our kids were gathered up there. I wouldn't do it for anybody but you, Paul. Well, you are, of course, you, are, you won a Tony for your role in Pippin. <laughs> have you guys been talking about Pippin at all? The entire time. Oh. And, and, <laughs> and we've been talking about your obsession... With the injury's breasts. Well, have you seen them? <laughs> I mean, let's say that, you know, there is perfect and then there's perfect. And this woman Paul. Uh, was perfect and still is. <laughs> uh, but what was hilarious, of course, you know, let, let me back up. You know, you've been talking about, and I just heard a little bit of the, about uh, the discussion about the SCTV re- reunion. I can hardly wait. Yeah, uh, and everything that I've heard about it is just so amazing, and exactly what fans like me are going to want to see. You know, <laughs> it's going to be a look in on what these kids did up there, wherever they were, Saskatchewan or something. <laughs> Edmonton. They had to go way out west in Canada for some reason, and isolated themselves and made this show. Yes, we and were just. I wonder, was that part of it, Andrea? How you were? You had no distractions out there. Yeah. Did that help or hinder you? Oh, I think it was a, a certainly a, a help with the creativity or the outpouring of material because we were each other's audience and, um, you know, we were um, fans of each other. We made each other laugh. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I think listen, I can't. Oh, I don't think the show people. would have. I don't think the show would have been successful, Paul. If we would have had the pressure that you guys did on Saturday Night Live, I I don't think that we were those kinds of people. I don't think that we really were inherently. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess there was a lot of naivety or innocence amongst us, and um, I mean, obviously, when SNL started, that Gilda was a, you know a young girl and innocent. But I don't know if. I don't know. I, I just think that you had to have much more, uh, a bit bigger backbone or, or ambition to be able to survive SNL. And um, I don't know if we would have. I don't know. Well, you know everybody in the show. What do you think? Well, you certainly created uh, something for yourselves, an environment in which to work, which was undeniably successful. Yeah. You yeah. had your own little world and, and you, your own little television station that you made up. <laughs> You created it, and you live within it. But what I was going to say is all those people that we all agree are still to this day the funniest. When you're talking about Eugene Levy yeah. and Martin Absolutely. Short, yeah. 
you know, and Dave Thomas. And Catherine O'Hara, my Are God. Are you kidding? All, all yes. geniuses. Are you, I mean, if you see Schitt's Creek, that is such a brilliant, crazy show. I just, uh, you know. But this I, is what I wanted to say with all due respect, and excuse me for interrupting, but it all came from this woman, Andrea Martin. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> I'm telling you, because I was there, 1972. She was the funniest thing any of us had ever seen. In Godspell? Yes, in you... Godspell, and we, we she had us all on the floor. You couldn't even raise your head up. You were laughing so hard, and she taught them all how to do it. Paul. I'm telling you, Andrea, you showed everybody what was funny, and I don't know where it came from. You came from Maine, <laughs> and you brought something up with you, and everybody picked it up from you, and I'm telling you, you are the root of it all. Honey, all I have is this to say to you. Bay, may, be. That's right. <laughs> I used to play, uh, uh, coach Andrea a little bit vocally. She would come down <laughs> to audition for New York shows. Because uh, she was an American, after all, you know. Yeah. So she could cross the border and work in the States like none, none of us could at that time. And she would, I would help her prepare a number, and then she'd come down and audition it. Uh, with it, and she's referring to that great song by Arlene Smith and the Chantels, maybe, yeah. which I taught to her wrong. <laughs> I'm really? I'm it all these years later. I didn't know it. I'm embarrassed to say. And I could barely read music, and I read it wrong and taught it to her genius. all wrong. You're a genius. You're a genius. They must have laughed at you there. Howard Fuhrer and his group must have oh, laughed. Oh, Howard You have the most meticulous memory. I have a funny memory for things like that. You're amazing. I was going to mention people, you know, if I had to give you hints on This Is Your Life, I was going to say Marlene Smith. Marlene well, Smith. Marlene Smith just Moses had... Neimer. Ma Moses Nymer, you know, all still functioning. Marlene just had Marty in to do an interview for the tr uh, the Canadian Theatre Museum. And uh, Ma Moses Nymer has a, ra a classical radio station in Toronto that I listen to every morning. This is not interesting to your listeners. <laughs> oh, <laughs> don't be so sure. All right. Well, I, you know, I've been talking for an hour and a half. Do you guys... Yes, it reminds me, Andrea, when you were... I mean, I, it may have been you were in between boyfriends. You what, know, Moses? You, Moses was a boyfriend, and you, had, you were always breaking up. And then there were periods of time where you were, you know, between guys, and you didn't like it. And you would indicate to us, sort of indicating your, your nether regions, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and you would say, Dodge City. <laughs> and, uh, Absolute tumbleweed a-blowing. I mean, you need well, a can of pledge to get in there. there All right. Nobody else. <laughs> This is like so you. There's nobody like Andrea Martin. Paul. She is the funniest and most talented. And I'm telling you, in Pippin, she sang while while doing a trapeze act. Oh, yes. Talk yes. about strength. Though. Yes. Paul, why don't you and I go on the road together, and we'll just talk about how much we love each other. I'd like to see that show. Well, <laughs> Mickey Rooney did it with his new wife. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. That's right. But you Joe Bologna, you'd be the new Joe Bologna and Renee Taylor. You know what? We'll be at the Carlisle Hotel. It will cost everybody <laughs> coming $700 for a piece of, uh, you know, burger and a bun. They'll listen to us talk and they'll go home. Great. All right. I love you. Give my love to Kathy. Paul, you're, you're the, the best. best. Uh, nice to hear you guys, Frank. And, of course, uh, Gilbert. Got Gilbert. Yes. Well, I just say that to, to you. You said that in now. the... Um, you got to get off the air. Oh, the what's what's her name? 
a Valerie Bertinelli delivery. Yes, exactly, exactly. You tell everybody what that, that means. That now. was in the Cindy Crawford skin commercials. Yeah. Uh, that Paul and I are major fans of. You are the commercials. Meaningful beauty. We bonded over. Meaningful a beauty. Uh, yes, right. yes. That's it. With Doctor yes. Shavaz. Well, he's too busy to come in. We got to see him by by a satellite. All and right, you guys, have a good time. Paul, with thanks for doing guys. this, Bye, buddy. Bye, Paul. Thank you so much. Love you, honey. Okay, you too. Our love Bye. to Kathy. See you all soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. Are you surprised? How did you make that work? That's amazing. I told you, he called me out of the blue while I was reading your book yesterday, and that's I said, this is kismet. Crazy. We have to do this. Oh, that's so lovely. He's well, so generous and kind. I don't know what he's remembering. He's remembering <laughs> not uh, how I remember it, but that's fabulous. Thank but you. Speaking of Pippin, tell, you have to tell Gilbert that story of the, of the trapeze, but why you had this fear of uh, heights yeah. connected to what happened on Club Paradise. Yeah. Which so is one at of the- Club Paradise, which was directed by Harold Ramis, we shot in Jamaica. And I did my own stunts in it. And I was in a parasail. And the rope broke that's connected to the boat. And um, I was traumatized. I, I couldn't go uh, uh, over bridges. And we were, um, I was in Costa Rica with my sons. And I was scared to go on the zip line there or whatever. I, I was petrified, traumatized. But I wanted to do this part so badly that um, I, uh, I just thought about the character. And I went to circus school and I learned how to, be on a uh, have a partner on a trapeze and I was 15 feet above the stage and the the terror went away when I was doing acting every night on stage but when I was rehearsing I would think about the line breaking and uh it was it was a real a real active um will to because I want to do it so badly but you did it and you won a Tony for it I did yes yes see (laughs) just goes to show you what does it go what what does it show you (laughs) that if you have a goal and you want it bad the influencers the influencers you're bringing it back I can see you and Paul in that show and I can see you and Gilbert in a in a a production of Fiddler in a road company of Fiddler do you ask me if I love you Yes. Do you love me? Do I what? Do you love me? Do I love you? With our daughters getting married and there's trouble in the town, you're upset, you're worn out, go inside, go lie down. You made this so high. Maybe it's- <laughs> All right, we have to go. <laughs> I love that song. That's a great way to end. This is the best, Andrea. We've had a blast. Thank you so much. And we could keep asking you stuff. We didn't no. get to, we didn't ask you about Young Frankenstein and how you improvised in Seattle. <laughs> you got a line. I'll come back another time. Come back another time. Thank you guys. Okay, this has been do more. Yeah, this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal <laughs> podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. And we've been talking to a woman whose biggest accomplishment is fucking Linus. Okay. (laughs) And she's still looking for a good chew. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Andrea Martin. Let me plug the book before you get the hell out of here. The book book is called Lady Parts. It's hilarious. How do you not love a book that references both Senior Wences and the Nairobi Trio? (laughs) 
Thanks, guys. Uh, it's touching. It's funny. Oh, I, I expected to laugh. Oh. I didn't expect to be moved. Oh, thank you. It's and so I nice was. Of you. And the stuff about your mom is beautiful. Thank and you. And it's just. And also, Gilbert wrote a book, and you had similar experiences. Uh huh. Because it was. Yes, difficult. I, I hated writing the book. And even worse, even worse than writing the book, they make you reread it to go through corrections on it. It's impossible. And I say, I don't want to read my stuff. Oh, my God, because every time I'd read it, I'm like, i got to change this now. This doesn't sound right. Yes. I know. Yes. And we publish them. Yeah. Good for us. And and I don't know if you did it for yours. They had me do... An audiobook? Uh, yes. No, you know, I haven't done that. Oh, do I fucking hated that part. Oh, yeah, was that hard? Yeah, that was oh. torture. All right. My new favorite guest. <laughs> yeah. Andrea Martin. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you, guys. And I hope you had fun. I did. As the chance to raise some Gilbert Gottfried's amazing Colossal Podcast is produced by Dara Gottfried and Frank Santapadre with audio production by Frank Verderosa. Web and social media is handled by Mike McPadden, Greg Pear, and John Bradley Seals. Special audio contributions by John Beach. Special thanks to Paul Rayburn, John Murray, John Fodiatis, and Nutmeg Creative. Especially Sam Giovanco and Daniel Farrell for their assistance. Now I could waylay some aging roué and persuade him to play in some cranny. But it's hard to believe I'm being led astray by a man who calls me Granny. One, two, three, four. Oh, it's time to start living. I never have told Maybe you'll understand why I believe if I refuse to grow old I can stay young Till I die Sixty-six years I've had troubles and tears By the score But the only thing I trade them for Is sixty-seven more All right, one more time And this time let's hear it from everybody One, two, three, four Oh
Time to keep living, time to keep taking from the world you're giving. You are my time, so I'll throw off my shawl. And watching your flings be flung all over, 